MBR, or as we like to call it around here, Nothing But Rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. What is up, ladies and gentlemen, in the historical words of the famous war general Lil Boosie, quote, my click all dogs don't make us set it off. All right. Understand something. See what Mr. Boosie understood and still, for that matter, understands is that when it comes to war, it is about being ready to set that thing off whenever it is required, whenever it needs to be aired out to be properly prepared to set that thing off. So, college football fans listening to this today, you don't need night games to set it off. You don't need primetime out-of-conference football games to set it off, to show up and buck up in that stadium. You do not need all of that to be elite. If you are elite, you set that thing off no matter the start time. No matter the start time of the football game, you set it off in the words of the famous Lil Boosie. Okay, so that's your pep talk today. If you found us today on this beautiful Tuesday evening, that is your pep talk, Georgia fans, for the second season in a row. War General Lil Boosie says you do not need that extra nonsense to set it off. You can get after it without all that. Two years in a row, no night game. Two-time defending national title winner, no night game. You do not get it. Okay, in all seriousness, set it off and set it off whenever. Get active. Get ready to get active this fall without a night game, okay? In all seriousness, your coach, the University of Georgia's head coach, Kirby Smart, doesn't like night games, okay? This is not something he has said publicly. It's not. But it is clear to me by his actions and his comments as of recent that this dude is not one for out here playing 730, 8 o'clock games in his home stadium. You know why? Because it's ABC. It's always be crudin' with Kirby Smart. It always has been. It always will be. And when it comes to night games, okay, recruiting pregame is all about handshakes and, and, and saying hello to mom and dad and then getting on. There ain't no recruiting on Saturday's pregame. Those coaches are prioritized or have prioritized and should prioritize winning the task and, 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 and winning the football game at hand that day. Pregame recruiting does not exist. It's, hey, how you doing? Thanks for coming. Got to get you going. All right, that's exactly how coaches recruit pregame. Postgame on visits is when they do most of their recruiting. So, Georgia fan listening to this today, there's a five-star from out west, all right, and he's in town. Let's say Dylan Rayola, for example. If Dylan Rayola is in town and you want to do some recruiting with Dylan after the game because you can't really do it before the game, and y'all play an 8 o'clock kick against whoever, Tittawada Tech, whatever school y'all are playing that day, by the time the dust settles, it's 11.30 midnight. Okay, Kirby Smart gets done with his post-game press conference. He gets to come over there and actually do a little bit of recruiting finally. Well, Coach, we, we got a plane to catch tomorrow morning, and I'm kind of tired. Right? Or worse, hey, Coach, I'm, I'm trying to get out in Athens, man. I'm trying to go have fun. I'm not trying to sit here and talk about this right now. All right, but if you play a noon kick, if you play a 3.30 kick, all right, it's 6 o'clock, it's 9 o'clock when that thing gets wrapped up and everybody's good, nice, and happy and, and, and satisfied with the day's results and then you get to start talking about recruiting. You see, those are two different types of environments and two different types of presentations for your football coach. 
one of which includes an opportunity to talk to recruits after the game and not have to send them directly home, okay? After the business is handled on the field, they go and handle their business in the recruitment end of things, okay? And your coach, like I said, he prefers this method. He likes this method. It's the way they go about, um, you know, scheduling, if you will, not that they have a full power over it. But I'm here to tell you that they kind of do. I'm here to tell you that if Kirby Smart wanted night games, he would get night games. Do you know how I know this? Have you not noticed that for the last six years, Alabama has seemingly played Southern Miss or Georgia Southern or some mid-major to D1AA football team, and they've done so at 7.30 in the middle of the night on ESPN? Guys, you don't think the worldwide leader wants to play the two-time national title-winning football team in primetime television? They do, I promise you. I promise you those ESPNU games – they want to put those in prime time. They probably just don't have the opportunity to do so because Kirby would rather play Ball State and beat their brains out at noon. He ain't trying to do it at 8 o'clock. That's not the MO. That's not the motive. That's not been the motive uh, since he's taken over the head coach's job at the University of Georgia. Again, man, like, if he wanted it to happen, the history of precedent tells me that it would happen. If Georgia wanted night games, they would have night games. Alabama versus Southern Miss on ESPN2 perennially – from the last 10 years, that's what it's been. If you don't think the worldwide leader in sports doesn't want to promote the best college football team in the sport right now, then you haven't been paying attention. All that Alabama bias that everybody's been claiming for years, they would be trying to steer that towards Georgia in night games. If maybe somebody who was running the program wasn't necessarily opposed to it. You see what I'm saying? Again, this is nothing that this dude hasn't come out and said explicitly, but if you just read the tea leaves, if you just pay attention, this is obvious. This man don't want night games. He wants to recruit before the game, shake hands, kiss babies, go beat the dog doo-doo out of whoever they're playing, and then get to recruiting after the game before he sends guys out into the nightlife in Athens. That's what it is. That's what it appears to be. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure they will do it. I, I, you know how I know ESPN would put them in night games if they asked it, if they demanded it, if they wanted it? You know how I know? Because, by God, every single time they get the opportunity to bring game day to Athens, they freaking do it. Game day's been in Athens four or five times in the last two or three years. Like, you guys are not slept on. Y'all are not disliked. The national media wants to come to your program. They do. Your coach just ain't all about all that machine. He's about winning football games, and that's what it's about. Uh, we got a loaded show for you guys tonight. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you hit that thumbs-up button and a like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Show your support to the program as we get to ripping off tonight. It is premium, premium off-season talking time right now, okay? Coaches' meetings were on, uh, or the spring meetings, rather, were down in Destin this week. As you can tell, your boy did not make it. We're here giving show. Um, but, yeah, there were some comments coming out of Destin today. One from Eli Drinkowitz, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, you know, there was uh, some Lane Kiffin poking jabs at Jimbo Fisher today, which we always love. Nick Saban piled on to NIL as well today. We'll talk about a little bit about that. But the main reason we are here tonight and the main reason everybody is up in arms right now in the world of Southeastern Conference football is scheduled talk. So I got a scheduled talk take I'm going to unload for you. But I do want to tell you, if you're not subscribed already, patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin, you should be. If you're not subscribed to the channel already, you should be. So Take some time, some brief time right now out of the day. Hit that thumbs up button. Fire off some uh, comments in the live chat if you're with us live on the broadcast um, and, and all that good stuff, man. Show your support to the channel however you feel free uh, or feel the need to do so. Appreciate you guys for being here with us tonight. Like I said, we got a loaded one for you. 
it is scheduled talk season. Okay. This is about the time of the year where every, you know, things start to change, right? Things start to, uh, you know, about this time, two years ago, we started hearing rumblings of Oklahoma and Texas. And then this time last year, we started hearing rumblings and, and a bunch of talk about NIL and, and all the different things that had culminated through the first year of NIL. And we started talking about all these conference realignment stuff over the last couple of years. This is talking season. This is the time of the year where the game that you like kind of changes, all right? And people start to freak out about it. And I have a take for you. I have an opinion about this, as I always do. Again, this is nothing but rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. All right, like this one. I think the scheduling talk stuff gets way overblown. All right, let's just give a, a little history lesson for everybody at home right now. The SEC has not always been like this, has not always been designed like this. The SEC has gone through multiple iterations and multiple changes in its history. Okay, they moved from 10 teams to 12 teams in 1991 by adding South Carolina and Arkansas. Yes, people at home that were born after the merger. Okay, after uh, Chipper Jones's rookie season. All right, yes, South Carolina and Arkansas have not been here. They're not institutional members of this conference like the other uh, nine or eight programs have been since 1932. There were new additions in 91, and with those new additions to a 12-team format, guess what was implemented? divisions and with divisions guess what was implemented a conference championship game that was revolutionary in the sport of college football okay so with change came more change with the first iteration of new additions to the to the conference all right well very similar a similar thing happened in 2012 okay in 2012 they incorporated both Texas A&M and Missouri went from 12 teams to 14 teams all right now in 2024 they're going to be doing it again they're going to be bringing two more teams Oklahoma and Texas to the conference. Simply put, kids, things are changing. Things are going to continue to change. The sport that I grew up on and the sport that I fell in love with is not the sport that we have today. And the sport that we have today is not the sport that we will have tomorrow. That is just the natural reality of where we have been in this sport the last three or four years. It is constant, constant change. And I'm here to tell you, as long as the management, the people in charge of making these decisions as long as those people are trustworthy and to be trusted, I'm good. And I'm here to tell you, when it comes to decision makers, the SEC is in the greatest of hands. I trust Greg Sankey with just about anything when it comes to this sport that I love and that you love and that we're all here for, right? It's what we're here for today, to talk about college football. And we love it. And the best version of that is in the Southeastern Conference. And it is ran by this guy. So when he makes these decisions, all right, they're not willy-nilly. He's not some slap dick just making decisions. This is a bona fide dude that has been out for the best interest of the sport since he has taken over the commissionership in the SEC. And he's done a pretty damn good job of it, right? Just brought in two more uh, members of into this conference that are two of the biggest names in the sport. The SEC is doing really, really well. This is a guy to be trusted. The rest of the decision makers in college football, I'm not even going to say it. The notes say, I don't know. I'm just going to tell you no. I don't necessarily trust the rest of the mythical decision makers in college football, but this dude, this dude stands up and stares down every opportunity and every problem. All right. And is the face of all of it that has no uh, regards about not being the face and the one to receive all of the backlash. Greg Sankey is more of a commissioner than any of the commissioners. He, he is more forward facing than Adam Silver. He is more forward facing than Roger Goodell. He's all of them. He is right out in front taking the brunt and, and, and the load of all of these decisions. And by God, 
by all accounts, doing a really, really good job over here. So we trust him with that. So now that we've calmed your fears as a fan about the impending change, because as the title says, this shit is inevitable. This is happening. Okay, there, There's not no ifs. It's a matter of when these changes to your schedule occur with the move to 16. What are the changes going to be, Brooks? Why are we freaking out? Okay, well, the debate centralizes on whether or not they are going to remain at eight conference games or bump to nine conference games like the rest of the conferences when Oklahoma and Texas come into the conference. Okay, I don't shy away from these three words on this, or shy away, rather. I do not shy away from these three words on this platform. I think it's what makes us us. It's what makes everyone else a true gas bag and a, and a person who never thinks they're wrong. I don't know. I can sit here and honestly tell you, I don't know what the SEC is going to do with the scheduling realignment. And that's okay. I'm here to tell you that the ground beneath us, like I just told you, the last three years, this sport has been in turn, like not turmoil, but constant change, right? Constant evolution. Okay. The ground beneath you still to this day is shaking. There's constant movements. There's constant changes. There's minor changes, minute changes. There's rule changes. Everything, the tectonic plates of this uh, industry are moving. Okay. So instead of freaking out on what possibly could be with regards to scheduling changes, I'm just here to say, why can't we just wait on the outrage? Okay. Just wait. Okay. Even if this uh, conference uh, realignment and, and, and schedule changes, meaning, meaning you lose a great traditional rivalry, we will talk about that here in a second. Okay. So that's what I don't know. I don't know what the ultimate finality of this is going to be. No one does, except for perhaps Greg Sankey. But I can tell you a little bit about what I do know, and that's kind of what the SEC's plans are. We kind of know that. There is a penciled in, not pinned, there is a pencil or Sharpie, there is a penciled in kind of format of what they think they want to do. Okay? Eight conference games, one locked in, and seven rotating. Okay? So that's kind of what they're on right now. They're not moving to eight. They want to kind of stick it, uh, or excuse me, they're not moving to nine, kind of want to stick to eight, but they're going to remove the kind of, you know, you only get one locked in opponent. The rest of them, they're going to remove divisions. The rest of them are rotating schedules. So for a program like Georgia, what does that mean? Okay, if you have eight conference games, seven of them are rotating, one is locked in. Well, you know what the one conference locked in is going to be. It's going to be the Florida football game which means there's probably going to be an elimination of the Auburn versus Georgia series, okay? Now, there are people listening to this program that will freak out about that, okay? There are absolutely people on this program that are going to worry about the potential loss of a historic rivalry like Georgia and Auburn, okay? It is the sport's longest rivalry in terms of perennial matchup. Okay, I think it's like 142 years or something like that. 140 years. However many it is, it's a long time. Y'all jokers been playing football. But I can sit here right now. I can sit here right now and ask you, Auburn fan, ask you, Georgia fan, where does that rivalry rank on your list of rivalries? And I'm going to tell you right now, Georgia fans, I've been around you long enough to know that you, you hate two programs more than any other. You hate Florida. You'd piss on it. You wouldn't piss on them if they were on fire. All right, and you despise Alabama. You got you used to have a little brother complex on them, and now you got a big brother complex on little brother or former big brother. You big little brother is what we call that. You 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 the little brother that done got three inches taller and twenty pounds heavier than his his big brother after puberty. That's what you are, but you still got that. I don't know, little big little big bro still kind of bother me. You know what I'm saying? Y'all had that complex going on. Y'all could give two dan two quarters less about Auburn. Y'all, that's not even little bro anymore. That's like. And not worried about Auburn. That's the way Georgia fans feel. And if you talk to Auburn fans, 
Auburn fans could be 0-11 come freaking Thanksgiving. As long as they play Alabama close, decent season. Decent season. So, you care. You, you like the Auburn matchup. You like the rivalry. But you don't despise them. You don't nurture hatred for them. I don't feel that from you. I feel they are a neighboring state. They're right there near Columbus. It's not a bad drive for us if we want to go pick up an away game on our schedule. You guys travel well to that one. It's a pretty decent SEC environment, and they do some funky shit every once in a while on Jordan Hare and win some football games. But in reality, not really one of yours. Not really one of your absolute have-to-haves, must-haves on the schedule. Okay? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Um, And – to be honest with you, this idea of schedule talk and, and whether or not they're going to play eight games, nine games, whether or not there's going to be divisions, whatever. Um, I don't know what the SC is going to do. I told you that just a minute ago, but I know what Kirby Smart doesn't care about this. Kirby Smart does not care about this. His quote today was, quote, it's the most overrated conversation in years. So I'm glad we spent about 12 minutes on it. <laughs> glad we spent about 12 minutes on it, man. Um, you know, I... What is the schedule going to look like in a couple of years? I don't know. I it would it would suck to do away with any type of you know annual rivalries. The Georgia Auburn game does have weight. It does mean something. Um, but so does number one versus number four. Okay, and whoever that randomized matchup is when they go to no divisions. I like the idea that there are no divisions. I don't like the idea that Georgia hasn't been to Kyle Field in seventeen years or however many however long. Texas A&M has been in the conference. I don't like the idea that if the SEC West or the SEC East is somehow stronger or weaker than the other, that one of the teams in that division that's the preeminent power gets to walk into the finals every year. I don't necessarily think it's great for the conference that Georgia has nobody on the SEC East right now that gives them an inkling of fear. That's not great. That's not good for the sport. There's two or three teams on that Western side of the SEC right now that I think would give Georgia a little bit more of a scare than the rest of the SEC East, okay? I think LSU and Alabama and Georgia are the three best teams in the SEC, and two of those are in the West. It's been like that for a long time, a long time. Basically, there's the one blip year of the Kyle Trask and the Kyle Pitts stuff at Florida but and, and the 11-2 and two year from Tennessee. But even that year, right, even, even last year with, that, with, with Tennessee, they got their brains beat in twice, so – I don't. We don't necessarily have to look at the the, the schedule in a couple of years and say, uh, you know, well, Georgia's schedule shit. Well, Georgia's schedule is crap because the rest of the conference is crap, and they have to play the rest of the conference or rest of the division rather. That's not going to be the case in a couple of years, and in my opinion, that's probably good for college football. Okay, and you know what? If you're sitting at home and you say, well, Brooks, that's not fair because the SEC is going to beat up on each other. It doesn't matter. You're going to twelve. You're going to twelve teams in the playoff, anyways. SEC football teams that are worth assault are getting into the playoff, period, point blank. They had to put a freaking limit on the amount of teams for one conference because of you, because of you, because your conference is so good and they know that you would damn sure be ranked inside the top 12, even if you had three losses at the end of the season, that they had to put a limit on you. Because in December, every year, there's five or six teams in the SEC in the top 12, top 15. Getting rid of divisions is not going to change that. We said that on this channel day one. The moment they went to 12, punch your ticket, Georgia. Punch your ticket perennially, Georgia, Alabama, LSU. Maybe not LSU. Georgia, Alabama, punch them. You're going. You're going. Matter of fact, don't even worry about scheduling out-of-conference games anymore. You're going. 
going to the college football playoff every single year since they moved to 12. So that is what it is, man. I think, like I said, when the, the start of this scheduling discussion, that shit don't matter, man. It don't, it does not matter. It, 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 however it shakes out, it shakes out. And if some old historical rivalries get cut out, you have got to stop being so resistant to change. I feel like those who are resistant to change die out or they catch up. Make sure you catch up because you don't want to die out. You love this stuff way, 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 way too much. Um, I love doing this, man. Hit that thumbs up button. Hit that like. Hit that whatever. However, wherever you found us today, show us some support. We're getting right after it again. I got to read some quotes to you, man. And it's important that you read the full quotes. All right, you have to, have to, have to read the full quotes, particularly when guys are at SEC meetings or they're at media events like this and there's a bunch of things going on all at once and you're typing, typing, typing and coaches up here talking, talking, talking and you're typing, typing, typing and then you hear coach say something that's real inflammatory and you want to go tweet that, all right? But just because you tweet that and just because hundreds of people quote tweet it and like it and retweet it doesn't mean you as the viewer or you as the listener or you as the whatever don't need to take time to actually read the full quote and get the full context because I about came on here and accused Eli Drinkowitz of pocket watching today. And you guys know this is a this is a pocket watching free channel here on this YouTube page. We do not pocket watch. We do not look at what another man or woman makes and say, damn, that's a shame. We do not do that. We think that is illegal here on this channel. And we was fitting to, we was fitting to toast Eli Drinkwitz's ass on this channel tonight for pocket watching. But we don't have to do that no more because we read the full quotes. And I want to bring them to you right now. Eli Drinkwitz was asked about NIL today. And based on a singular quote, like I said, I thought we was going to be doing some world-class pocket watching, but we are not. The quote that was tweeted today was Missouri coach Eli Drinkowitz says college players through NIL are making more money than his brother-in-law, who is a pediatrician. Quote, he saves lives. Now, that is a paraphrase of what Coach Drinkowitz said at the podium today, but that is not the entirety of the statement. This was the entirety of the statement. Okay, Coach Drinkowitz was asked, about uh, his approach with the issue of NIL and the element of surprise, or is it just inevitable? And Coach Drinkwitz sighed and said, y'all really are trying to get me in trouble here. Um, Deion Sanders had a really good quote the other day about talking about young men uh, are joining a business, but we want to treat them like kids. We are giving 18, 19, 22-year-olds life-changing money. People are making more money in NIL than my brother-in-law, who is a pediatrician who saves lives. And we kind of do it cavalier, and we think there's not going to be any side effect, and there's not going to be any issues. There's information out there. There's bad actors always trying to make a dollar. I think it's going to become one of the key issues that we face in our locker rooms, dot, dot, dot. I think it's, going, I think it's more prevalent because there's money. There's more money involved. Everyone is trying to make a dollar. These young, men's, these young men, excuse me, I can't read today. These young men are getting a lot of money that is a lot right now other than trying to hand out advice. Uh, and provide some parameters to it, you know, with this NIL situation, we've created our own problems in college sports. Now, I think there's a lot there, okay? There is a whole lot there. I think there's a ton of valuable information there, and I think there's a ton of stuff I agree with. But let's address some stuff that I don't necessarily agree with, okay? Um, this quote about pediatricians. You know, I looked it up today. There are 33,000 uh, accredited and, uh, you know, approved pediatricians in this country, Says so says the databases that I found today. So about 33,000, just over 33,000 pediatricians in this country. They make on average, okay, the dead average, not the highest, not the lowest. We talk about the mean right there in the middle. They make an average of about $195,000 per year, okay? 33,000 
pediatricians in this country. Okay. 33,000. There are 1,190 football players on scholarship in the SEC. So, Eli Drinkowitz, I know what we were doing today. I know that we were trying to explain that pediatricians are people who are the elite of elite at what they do. And they are highly qualified and highly valuable people. And they are people who make a difference in this world. And they are people who save lives. I understand what we are doing. There are 33,000 of those individuals in this world. There are less than 1,200 who play in the SEC, the pinnacle of the sport. There are 1,200 of those players that are on scholarship, okay? In a conference that produced $1.3 billion in revenue last year. Am I insane to sit here and tell you that 33,000 pediatricians are great at what they do? They are elite at what they do. But the 1,200 young men that play football in the SEC – the, the conference that produced $1.3 billion in revenue last year are slightly or as adequate and as elite at what they do as pediatricians are? Again, I know what we were doing. I understand that we were trying to quantify the importances of what a, pediatri a pediatrician does and what a college football player does. But that does not establish worth. That does not establish worth. What establishes worth is the market. And the market says that those 1,200 scholarship football players produce the revenue of $1.3 billion. They are far more elite at what they do than some guy that went to school for eight years and is now a pediatrician at your local neighborhood. And if you're a pediatrician listening to this tonight, good on you. Good on you. Just like me, the, a, a damn 18-year-old kid that's a freshman at the University of Georgia that was a five-star athlete, far more elite at what he does than what I do right here today, even though I'm making a career out of it. They're at the pinnacle of what they do absolute pinnacle of what they do and again i could argue and for my opinion without question college football players are just as elite they're just as good at what they do if not better than the than, than his uh, brother-in-law who's a pediatrician who saves lives you know what i've never heard and this really really irks me and i think there are some underlying issues here that we're not going to delve into today but it really really irks me you know what i've never ever ever heard not once uttered from nobody's mouth not one person has ever said, you know, we probably shouldn't give Taylor, Smith, Taylor Swift $100 million when she's 17 years old. We probably shouldn't make her the most famous person in the world when she's 19 years old. We probably shouldn't give Justin Bieber $100 million from Usher before he can drive a freaking car. We probably shouldn't let the, the young tech billionaire make a billion dollars before he's 20 years old. We never hear those things. We never hear the, about the quote-unquote concern about some 19-year-old kid making millions of dollars in the music industry or the art industry or the, uh, you know, Wall Street. We never hear about that. But yet every single time a high school kid goes and plays college football, makes a couple hundred grand, now all of a sudden we're irresponsible. We're irresponsible. We're giving kids adult money, and we're, we're trusting them to make adult decisions. Like, y'all don't say this stuff about other people. So why do you do it to football players? Why do you do it to young basketball players? Why do you do it to young athletes? You do not do it to young musicians. You do not do it to young venture capitalists. You do not do it to young content creators. You only do this to athletes, and it's stupid. So please stop. Please stop doing this to young athletes. All right? I do agree with the comments that he made about Dion. however. I really do. I agree with what he is talking about. We give these people or we give these young men adult money then they are required to expect adult, uh, adult results and adult reactions right so 
When I give you hundreds of thousands of dollars, young high school football player going to college, understand something. You are now on payroll. When, and when you are on payroll, that comes with expectations. And that, becomes, that, that comes with certain standards of behavior. Duh. Duh. All right, so Dion is 100% right. I also, and, and Drinkowitz for that matter too, I also know, I can tell you right now, there was a, a comment in there about how there are people waiting by the wayside, all right? I think it's more prevalent than ever because there's more money than ever involved, okay? That's what Drinkowitz said today about these hanger-ons, these lingerers, right? And it ain't, it ain't mommy, it ain't daddy, it ain't uncle, it ain't brother, it ain't, it ain't the immediate family members that have been hanger-ons for centuries, all right? It's the hanger-ons like agents, content producers, marketers, all these people who have just now been able to sink their teeth into college athletes and get them in early, the ones who have been taking advantage of professional athletes for years and decades, they're now finding their way into college football. Those are the people you got to worry about. These people that have suddenly opened up businesses around NIL, NIL agents, NIL marketers, NIL companies, all right? What do you think they in for it? They are not there to solely produce income for the kids. I promise you that right now. There are a lot of people, a lot of sharks swimming that water right now. Real bloody NIL water. A lot of sharks swimming that water right now that are trying to capitalize for themselves and not for the young men that they are claiming to represent. All right, we see it all the time, and that's what Drinkowitz is talking about. Again, it is not the family members asking for money. It's always been the family members asking for money. That ain't changed. Now 19-year-olds got to swat away agents and got to swat away companies that claim to be doing good for them. Meanwhile, they taking percentages. Got to be real, 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 real careful if you are a young athlete in the space today man i'm telling you right now i if, if it were my if it were my son my son would be would be delivering or uh dealing with collectives and collectives only we would not be dealing with any type of nil marketing agency we would not be doing none of that we would be getting money the same way kids been getting money for years and that's from boosters that's what collectives are by the way if you haven't figured that out i don't know where you've been the last two and a half years where are we even at man i feel like i've been cooking Hit that like button. Hit that thumbs. Hit that thumbs up. In conclusion, man. Okay. In conclusion, believe it or not. Okay, Mr. Drinkowitz, I agreed with a lot of what you said. By the way, I've been telling y'all forever. Drink is an excellent quote. Eli Drinkowitz is not one of these Kirby Smart press conference guys who's going to say a whole bunch of nothing while he says a whole bunch of lot. All right. That that's the definition of a Kirby Smart press conference. That Sun Gun going to talk for fifteen minutes, and you're going to have about one thing to to actually write about out of that. It's actually a gift. It's like a real gift. It's like he he stores up all of his nonsensical talk, okay, for just that 15 minutes he's in front of the media. Everything else he says outside of that 15 minutes probably carries a tremendous amount of weight, but he don't give you shit in front of that microphone. Eli Drinkowitz, totally different. Totally different dude. That dude's going to fire it up every single time he gets on there. Um, I do think SEC football players, and for that matter, Power 5 football players, are just as elite at what they do as pediatricians. That sounds crazy, unless you think about it. Unless you think about it. Are you one of the top 1,200 at what you do in the world? Probably not. Are you, are you worthy of being, oh, well, by the way, one of 1,200 of the best in the world in a revenue sport that produces $1.3 billion? Come back with that answer then. Are you that? No, you're probably not. So you are not in that upper end of elite that requires upper end of elite compensation. So therefore, boom, yes. There are some people 
that are out there in the weeds when the money is present. There are some linger by or some hanger-ons. I believe my man Waka Flocka would describe these folks as snakes in the grass. I hear there's snakes in the grass. We got to cut the shit, right? Um, shouts out Waka Flocka. Shouts out Clayton County. Two rap, two rap references tonight. How about it? Um, yes, there are more problems, okay, with regards to keeping the linger-ons or lingerers away from your money now than ever before. But I will take that problem. I will take the problem of how do I keep these people from stealing my money as opposed to how do I get money back home to mom so mom and my mom and little brother can eat or mom and my little sister can eat or dad and my little sister can eat, right? I would take, I would take the problems that currently exist and allow 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old people who are risking their you know bodies for this sport. I would much rather them have money that they have to worry about than problems that they have to worry about because they don't have money. And if we can't all get behind that, then what are we doing here? What are we doing here, right? Um, I don't think it's your place. I do not. Like I said, we don't do this to Taylor Swift. They don't do this to Justin Bieber. We don't do this to venture capitalists who are, are multimillionaires by the time they're 18 years old. We don't do this to these people. We do not pretend to have some type of quote-unquote concern for young people being rich. We don't do that to other folks. We just do it to young athletes. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop doing it. Next time you think about, oh, well, you know, why are we giving all these kids this money? Because they deserve it. They're worthy of it. If they weren't worthy of it, if their market was not dictated by the fact that they receive and earn that money, then they wouldn't get it. That's how this works. It is an open market system. Players are getting X amount of dollars from school A because Y amount of dollars was not enough from school B. That's an open market system. You would do the same at home. Okay. You are a fan. You as a fan, however, are allowed to have a different set of circumstances and a different set of reactions and a different set of standards now that some, some of your money is going directly into these pockets. You do have the right to have it a little bit different of a standard. You do have a right to expect a little bit uh, of a different performance. That's how this works. You not only, you've been putting you know time into these athletes for years. Now some of you are putting time and money into this. Okay, which means, yes, you 100% do have the right to be a little bit angry, a little bit perturbed, or have a little bit different of, uh, you know, talks, okay, with whatever it is that you got going on. Um, let's keep the NIL discussions going. Did you see Lane Kiffin today? I know y'all saw Lane Kiffin today. If you didn't, I hope you did. Uh, Lane Kiffin said today, when asked about him poking Jimbo Fisher on social media, I hope you saw it. If you didn't, uh, let's play it for you right now. I struggle letting it go on those things. My SID tells me to let it go, but when someone says that, <laughs> that NIL, NIL has nothing to do with why someone you know, signs at their place and they sign the best class in the history of recruiting, I struggle with that statement. <laughs> so if you didn't hear him there, he was basically asked about why he's always poking and prodding Jimbo Fisher on Twitter. Um, not directly that, but that was the premise of the question. And his answer essentially is that he has a hard time letting things like that go, even though his SID, if y'all heard that, that's Claude Felton, the sports information director. That is the version of Claude Felton at Ole Miss. This is a person that is directed. Um, his one directive job is to keep the coach uh, coinciding with the media, if you will. Um, all of his media appearances, all that good stuff. So the SID apparently told Lane Kiffin that he needs to start letting some of these go. And Lane's answer was he has a hard time letting these types of things go. He has a very hard time 
listening to a person who, as he said, signed the number one recruiting class in the history of recruiting and then turned around and said it had nothing to do with NIL. He has a hard time allowing those things to go without saying something about him. And I'll be honest with you, Lane, we did too. We absolutely did too. We thought it was so funny and Jimbo Fisher was so full of shit when it came to that NIL stuff last summer that we made an entire intro about the man. We made an we made an entire intro about the man, okay? I ain't hard to find. I can promise you that shit. We made an entire intro about the man because we thought it was so funny because he was the most guilty dog barking the loudest every single time. That's how funny we thought it was. Lane Kiffin thought it was hilarious as well. Um, but Lane's not the only coach. Okay, Lane is not the only coach that has um, zero problems. And I mean zero problems airing it out. Shouts out to our war general of the night, Lil Boosie. Okay, Nick Saban was setting that shit off today too. I don't know if y'all heard it. I don't know if you paid attention. Um, it wasn't a video that was quoted out, but it was a quote directed from him. Uh, he said, you think it's here, meaning parody. Like, do you think parody's here? I think the way Southern Cal, Texas, and Texas A&M are spending money, it hasn't hit yet. What are you willing to spend? So this was a two-pronged jab at all three of these schools. Okay, not only one was he calling out all three of these schools for being super NIL heavy and out here throwing bags around in the recruiting service, which we'll talk about here in a second, but he was also telling them that they chew out here spending money and still taking fat L's. That's embarrassing, bro. You out here giving out hundreds of whatever thousands of dollars per individual or however much it was to Texas A&M, and you out here losing an app state? Dog, that's kind of ugly, right? That was the shot that Saban took today. I don't know if you caught that, but it wasn't just A&M's out here throwing bags. Texas out here throwing bags. USC out here throwing bags. It was that plus y'all losing. Y'all still can't win. Dang, when y'all go figure it out, right? Um, it, it wasn't a shot, by the way. If you pay attention, and I think it's funny. I think it's very interesting that he named those schools like by name. Didn't no if fans are buts about it. Went straight at those three schools. I think it's two things to point out. One, no fear, okay, about those three schools from him. And two, he's one hundred percent right. Those schools are traveling at rather fast speeds on the highways of NIL. Um, and three, he left a school out. There was an omission. It was Tennessee. Um, he definitely left out Tennessee. Those are the four schools we hear about all the time. And it's how I know if other people on other beats or other, you know, content creators, it's how I know if they're in the know. It's how I know if you're talking to the people you're supposed to be talking to. If you're out here thinking Georgia and Alabama are still the bag throwers in college football, you are so far behind on the information and the intel that your head's spinning. Your head, matter of fact, your head might as well be in the damn sand. If you haven't been paying attention in the last three or four recruiting classes, you, you, have, you just haven't been paying attention. It's clear as day that there are a handful of schools that are traveling way faster and paying way more money than anybody else. You know how I know this? Because Tennessee's NIL collective was out here bragging that they paid $8 million for a high school quarterback. That, that information did not come from insiders, folks. They might as well have put a damn edit out on Twitter and tweeted it out for everybody. We are paying Nico $8 million. The NIL was telling everybody, that collective was telling everybody in the world they were so happy that they got a high school quarterback for $8 million. Tennessee, Texas, USC, Texas A&M. They got it. They got all the money in the world, and they're spending all the money in the world. And I think this is the year, okay, because it, it, was, it was the last two cycles that money was a, a serious player. So, And now markets are kind of correcting because Texas oil tycoons are looking at Jimbo Fisher's butt and saying, 
oh, really? Four and nine? Four and eight? Y'all lost to App State? I gave you how much money to sign? How what? How many players? And you did what? So, yeah, there's a market correction going on right now. So, if you didn't get the players required to win in the last two recruiting classes, and you're going out to the field this year, and you're going to put another measly six and six on the books, there ain't enough money in the world to get football players to come play for you anymore. These are not strategies that work. Paying the most and, and having the highest payroll doesn't necessarily work in college football like it might in the professionals, where they are professionals and they've been making millions of dollars for a half a decade, or they're into their second contract, and you got several of those superstars, right? You can sign Aaron Judge, and you can sign uh, our guy that plays Anthony Rizzo, and you can sign Giancarlo Stanton, and you can sign uh, the, the pitcher that throws gas. All right, you can do all this. You can have all this massive budget, and you probably still won't win. Some actual team, some actual culture is still going to actually beat your actual payroll. That's what's probably going to happen. That's what we're seeing in college football. College football, more than any other sport, because you have so many young, influential people on your roster, is beyond a culture sport. It is beyond a culture sport. Teams who love each other win, period, point blank. It is very rarely the most talented team in the world, right, that wins a college football national title. And it might be that moving forward because you don't have to be so perfect. But used to, you had to be perfect, which meant you had to be a team, which meant when some portion of your offense or your football team didn't show up that day, the other portion had to pick it up, right? All of those things still matter. They will still continue to matter because you build culture year over year, Mel Tucker. You build culture year over year, Deion Sanders. We're going to see. We're going to see if all that stuff works. But history tells us it probably doesn't, right? History tells us the way to build it is to with, with sustained success. It's through the high school recruiting rankings, development and player acquisition, period, point blank. Hey, I appreciate you being here. I love you. I'll see you Thursday. We'll see you.